0: mindful mamas, and welcome back to the Enlightenedhood Podcast. I'm your host, Lina Lemos, and today we are getting real and raw about mental health and motherhood with the amazingly beautiful soul, Nikki Newbauer. Nikki founded a movement called Little Hope Notes, which shares anonymous messages out in public spaces that are meant to uplift, inspire, and give people who find them that extra push they need to go for the day or whatever they're struggling with in life. And she decided to start this movement based on her own mental health and motherhood journey and... Her story is so beautiful, and she shared with me that when she showed up for this podcast interview that she decided that she was going to be open and honest, and what she has to say is truly inspiring, and I really hope that her story moves you today. So here's Nikki. So let's talk about little hope notes, but rewind all the way back to the beginning of what led you there.
1: Okay, absolutely. Um, So if we're going to go the way, way back, um, I was an only child until I was 10 years old. And um, I grew up in East Tennessee and in a very impoverished um, circumstance. My mom was actually 17 when she had me. And my father, he wasn't in the picture. And so I would see my mom um, obviously grieving, not having the American dream, so to speak. Mm-hmm. She wanted to go to college and she wanted to be an art teacher. And so at a very, very young age, i what I know now was depression. Um, I look back and I see her bouts of depression that she went through and they were pretty severe. I would play by myself for hours at a time every day um, after school or during the summer. I pretty much entertained myself. style. And um, I think that that really gave me a sense of feeling that I wasn't very important. I wasn't worth her time. I wasn't fun to play with. Um, And so my imagination grew from a really early age. And so did my um, sense of empathy for others, because although I felt unwanted or rejected, I also felt for my mom as well, because once I started kindergarten, uh, my friends' mothers, they were much older um, than my mom was and further along in their journey as far as um, maturity and what my friends' families looked like. Not all of them were, you know, full family units, but they did have a sense of normalcy. Whereas in my home growing up, um, snow would come in from under the door or through the um, floorboards. And we would have to actually melt snow to have fresh bathing water. We would take the snow, put it on top of the kerosene heater inside of a pot, let that melt. And then we had warm water to bathe with, to flush the toilet with, um, things along those lines. And I joke about it now but I... <laughs> I remember, you know, squirrels and possums and skunks like getting into our home and kind of a funny, (laughs) funny story was um, I actually slept with my mom until uh, she remarried when I was 10 because that was a sense of uh, safety for me. And it was the day after Christmas and I heard something and like this chewing noise, and my mom was fast asleep. And I opened my eyes, and right next to me on the floor was a skunk chewing bubble gum. It's <laughs> um, like this, <laughs> this Christmas bubble gum that you got in the uh, plastic candy cane. But um, anyway, I also saw this sense of communion um, we belong to. We belong to a small church. And it never really, um, I never noticed the, I guess, the gravity of the situation until I got, you know, to be a teenager, but I would see people write checks for my mom so that we could afford to turn the electricity back on or to fill our car with gas. And so that sense of empathy and compassion that I was picking up from other people I saw that it brought a light to my mom's eyes and she would go through these stages where she wasn't sleeping as much, which meant she was interacting more with me. And I just saw like this whole revolution of kindness and how kindness really can change, um, a person's entire life, their world. And as a teenager, um, even a little bit before that, I knew that I wanted to be two things in life. I wanted to be a mother and I wanted to be um, a writer. And um, fast forward to to getting married, going through all of, I guess, those normal milestones that I had envisioned for myself. I became a mom when I was twenty six. And I quickly found myself dealing with postpartum depression and postpartum turned into a longer bout of depression. And I finally did go to the doctor and I just was at my wit's end. I had lost um, weight unintentionally, which affected my ability to be able to breastfeed. And I started seeing a therapist and a psychiatrist. And my daughter now is almost six. And she's at that age now that I was when I remember my mom sleeping all of those afternoons and being disengaged. And when I started having my own mental health, um, I guess, suffering in that way, I panicked because I kind of was relying emotionally and mentally on what I remembered as a child. Mm. And I kept thinking, I don't want my daughter to grow up remembering." And that was a very lofty goal. Since I have come into contact with so many amazing mothers that either deal with mental illness or chronic Ill, chronic pain, And there's always that comparison. We're always looking at the highlight reel of people on Facebook, on Instagram. And we're seeing the moms that wake up for a run and then still have the energy to take their kids to the park. And more times than not, I have been in bed and we've had to play Barbies or. I've been completely out of it once my husband's gotten home from work and he's had to step in and while well, I'm completely out of the picture for that evening, for those two days, that week, and people's encouragement and their ways of pouring into my life have reminded me a lot of those people all those years ago that encouraged my mom and encouraged me And so Little Hope Notes was born out of a desire to anonymously
0: encourage strangers. I'm curious. So you said that one of the things that you always wanted to be was a mom and you had this very distinct vision of your childhood and you and your mother. Did you imagine when you were pregnant with your daughter, did you have any thought that the same kind of, Mental health condition might spring up in your life once you became a mother?
1: You know, I actually, um, it was really my worst nightmare, to be honest, because um, when I became, I believe I was 15, I actually got back in touch with my biological father. And I found out through his mother, my grandmother, that he had really suffered with bipolar disorder and alcoholism. Mm-hmm. And so the mental health component on his side, just knowing the extent of that, mm-hmm. that he had attempted to end his life eight times between mm-hmm. the time I was a newborn and 10 years old, mm-hmm. um, I believe that that kind of became that dark cloud, so to speak, because, mm-hmm. That was everything I didn't want to become, and mm-hmm. so knowing that it was both on my mother and father's side, she was never diagnosed bipolar, and i've since you know grown to i think understand and have compassion. you know she was a teenager, she was a new mom, she was single, she was in poverty, all of those factors alone really um were stacked against her statistically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's been proven that women in poverty don't have access to good mental health care. And so I had gotten sick prior to getting pregnant and I never ever thought it was mental health related because I was having various physical manifestations of uh, the depression and the anxiety. Mm-hmm. So I was going to neurologists because my memory was really bad and I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't hold a job longer than six months. And I was going to rheumatology because my joints were hurting so badly. And it was just a really profound um, physical manifestation. And I did have one person that didn't know me very well mention, well, maybe you should go to a psychiatrist and explore that avenue. And I was in denial. Absolutely not. I've seen the devastating um, reality of untreated mental illness. And I know that that's not what's wrong with me. Nothing's wrong with me. I'm not sick in that way. And so when I got pregnant, I actually had a phenomenal pregnancy. I was um, very healthy, very upbeat during my pregnancy. I was able to gain weight um, the way that I needed to. Um, And so when I hit the postpartum after Amaya was born, it was um, another long, I would say, four years before I actually got a clinical psychiatric diagnosis of PTSD um, and also bipolar type 2. So, I never expected to really be where I am and to have not only been diagnosed, but also have to live with a mental illness or a mental diagnosis. What did that feel like? I, I had gone seven years with all of the physical stuff, spending thousands of dollars that we didn't have and really clinging to a diagnosis. I was like, I don't care. I this point, and I really, truly meant this, I don't care if they tell me I have cancer, at least I'll know what's wrong with me and I'll know how to get treated. And so initially when I was diagnosed, um, there, there was kind of like this immediate acceptance that just right out the gate. Oh, okay. Well, this is great. Let me fix it. Let me get on the right medications, therapy, let me pretty much come up with this laundry list of how to take care of myself. And then everything will be okay. Because the only examples I had again, were people that, you know, suffered with a mental health diagnosis, but did not have any treatment or did not seek treatment. Mm -hmm. And um, it was really this time last year. So last summer Um, I had a a very bad bout of anxiety and depression, sudden onset. I woke up in June. I was in the worst pain I've ever been in physically and mentally. And I remember just crying, thinking that I've done all of the right things. I'm taking care of myself. I've accepted this. And, um, I had to come to terms that mental health treatment is not what we think it is as a society. It's an ebb and flow. Um, Healing is not linear. And I really struggled in being a mom because I was reminding myself of all of those things that I dealt with growing up. And I was kind of seeing my parents when I would look in the mirror. And so I had to come to a place of self-acceptance, which, you know, some days are better than others. I wake up some days and I'm like, yes, this is a struggle. This is real, but it doesn't mean I'm a bad mom. It doesn't mean I'm a bad person or I'm doing anything wrong. This is brain chemistry. It's my body reacting to stress. This is a very normal and scientific um, diagnosis. And um, I also I had to come to self-acceptance, but also when I saw those, um, I guess, reminders of my parents in the mirror, to also have grace for them and to understand, you know, it is very common for people with bipolar type two, or I'm sorry, type one or type two, really, my father had what you would imagine when you think of bipolar disorder, the high highs, the low lows, um, manic episodes. And it's very common to also have um, an addiction in most instances. And so just coming to a place where I was able to work through my own trauma, my grief, and also I grieve for him in some way. You know, um, grieve the fact that he never really sought treatment and grieve the fact that he was never really able to be the father he wanted to be. And thankfully, we did reconcile uh, completely before he passed away in 2009. Um, But yeah, acceptance for myself and acceptance of where my parents were at the time of life where I really struggled.
0: How did your relationship with your mother change once you had your daughter? That is a very
1: good question. Um, Growing up, my mom always, I mean, I remember her telling me when I was four or five, oh, you're such a little adult. And I have internalized that, and very much taken responsibility um taken things upon myself that otherwise I shouldn't have, so as a child, feeling responsible that my parents divorced, and when my daughter was born, I started thinking through those things more emotionally rather than just cognitively mm-hmm. and thinking. I would never want my daughter to put that weight on herself or to carry burdens that don't belong to her, that aren't hers to, uh, to carry. And so my relationship with my mom, it's gotten significantly better. Um, she is a close friend with mine. She always kind of has been, um, more of a, I don't know, a role model Than a mother, because again, there's only 17 years between us. And she is nurturing and loving and kind and gentle, but she is also um, a place where I can find rest if I need to, that I can confide in her like you would a friend, you know, a girlfriend over coffee or a couple glasses of wine. (laughs)
0: Um, Yeah. So let's go from June to creating little hope notes. What did that journey look like? So again,
1: going back to wanting to be a wife, a mom, and a writer. um, I, once my father died, I stopped writing for an entire year. And then going through, like I said, the pregnancy, the seven years to a diagnosis, there was just so much bottled up that I didn't really feel that I had very much encouragement to give. I was kind of like an empty cup, you know, trying to pour out and there just wasn't anything there emotionally. Mm -hmm. And um, last June, getting the diagnosis, trying to find my road to healing and to acceptance and management, honestly, trying to manage um, my diagnosis and how it affects my family, my work, my community of friends. Um, I finally got to a place where I was like, you know what? It's going to be our 10 year anniversary. We need a trip unlike anyone has ever needed a trip before. Mm -hmm. Um, We had a very tough uh first 7 years of marriage just with the loss of um each of us lost a parent dealing with my health issues it was just a very long road and so um we booked a trip to Italy this March this just a few months ago and i was talking to my husband and i was saying you know i get so discouraged as a mom and I know that if I start writing again, I don't want to be, and it certainly has its, uh, its place to be the, you know, encourager and the shiny mom that, you know, people rely on and people build, you know, complete careers out of being that mom. Mm -hmm. And I told him, I said, I feel like I would be you know, denying a part of myself if I tried to always appear polished in my writing. And I don't want to be her. I want to be me. And I've gone through trauma and grief and a diagnosis. And I want that to serve a purpose. And I think that that purpose is to encourage others. So the night before we left for the airport, I went to TJ Maxx and I bought a little um, like pack of cards of greeting cards that were blank. And I was like, Hey, I think it would be pretty fun for me to, to write encouraging, like very specific, encouraging messages in these cards and leave them in the airport. And then I'll start an Instagram account and I will tag where it can be found, like which terminal it's in, and um have people reach back out to me. He was like, okay, well, that's cool. And so we had, because we got a super cheap flight, we had like four layovers. Oh my goodness. So which was miserable. I do not recommend that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, oh yeah. It's it's definitely worth the extra couple hundred to get where you're going faster. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I did that in um, the airport in DC at JFK in New York in Dublin and then in Rome. And I did it on the way back home as well. And I started hearing back from people and this one girl, she said, um, I'm on my way to the u k and the friend that I'm actually going to meet or to uh, she could really use this encouragement like this note is definitely for her, and I'm going to give it to her and so there became a culture of paying it forward along with little hope notes, which I really loved because um. I didn't want people to just read them and toss them or read them and, you know, let them sit at the bottom of their luggage for the next, you know, two years until they travel again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So the idea of paying it
0: forward really spoke to me. Wow. And then how did it, once you saw these people continue to reach back out to you and saying, wow, I really needed this today. How did that affect you?
1: Gosh. The people that I'm hearing from, I mean, they're giving me more encouragement than I could ever give out. I feel like that glass I was talking about, it's slowly starting to fill back up because, um, like I said, I write very specific messages. So no two notes are the same. Mm. Um, if they are, it's because I, Have been, you know, mom brain at the end of the day and exhausted. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've repeated myself, but I intentionally try to create something new every time. And um, I really write about some subjects that I think as a society, we say that we're advocates and we say that we want things to change with mental health, but we don't have the conversations that are necessary to have an organic change and reformation. Mm-hmm. So for example, on one note, I wrote, um, have you ever considered suicide? Because I want you to know that if you are, this is your sign that someone loves you, someone cares, and that there's always hope. Look in your community for mental health assistance. You are loved. and." I get get emotional when I think about it because my dad, he passed away without um, living with my grandmother and he didn't have one friend. He didn't have a bank account. He had never really accomplished anything. He was um, very stunted mentally so a lot of times it was like a fruition of what my mom said of me being a little adult because uh when we would talk I was the adult in the conversation he wanted to talk to me about his favorite music and just very um like he was 15 um kind of insignificant things And so he never had anyone to encourage him or to hear him out when he was suicidal. And, uh, so I think of him, I think of him when I write these notes and I think of my mom, I've put a few little hope notes, um, in front of pregnancy tests in target before Mm. saying it's going to be okay. Um, because I'm sure that you can relate even if you prepare for six years to get pregnant and have your child actually becoming or whether you've planned it or not is overwhelming. It's emotional. It's, um, fear of the future fear of maybe filling shoes that of someone that was in your past. And, um, so I think of myself too, you know, being a stay at home mom with, a four month old and battling postpartum really badly and kind of just waiting for anything to encourage me. And so the notes being kind of in the middle of people's daily routines is the whole idea. So whether you're using the bathroom at Panera or buying toilet paper at Walmart I'm just hoping that people come across these notes and that it speaks to them or they're able to pay it forward to someone that will be touched by it.
0: Wow. I love how powerful they are and how you make each one so specific because I think, yes, we all relate to, we want to see ourselves in these vague messages, but I'm sure there's those people out there who really need that specific message and oh my goodness, how powerful to see it right in front of you, just come across it in your day.
1: Right. Have you ever had an experience like that where you feel like you saw something or heard something and it was just for you that day in that
0: moment? Yes, all the time. Actually, a few weeks ago, our back door was kicked in and luckily nothing was stolen from our house, but I have this clock in our living room and it was my grandparents 50th anniversary clock and my grandpa loved clocks and there will just be a few random times in the last few years where it's just the alarm has gone off without it being set and I just imagine it as him being saying hey I see you and I was standing in the living room watching the door be repaired and the alarm went off at that very second and I just knew I was just saying, I see you're you safe. Oh. i have someone watching over you. And I just like burst into tears because you, when mm. you really need that message and then you receive it, it's just the most overwhelming and powerful thing.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I love that example. I'm going to remember that.
0: <laughs> it wasn't words or written words, but it was enough of a message that I got it.
1: Oh, absolutely, yeah, and I think that that's um another reason that I like to write everything very um, individualistic and different is because I believe that you know the messages that are meant to find us will whatever that may be. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm definitely a huge advocate for hope and pressing on, even you know, in the dark night of the soul, (laughs) um, that the sun does rise. It always, you know, comes up the next morning. It's a new day. And there's always going to be someone out there that has a message for you. And I believe that we all have our own scars and our stories to to share with others, especially as moms. I mean, my goodness. Mm -hmm. Talk about one of the most like amazing, but discouraging roles that
0: we will ever fill. So how has your daughter, she's seen you start this movement of kindness? How has it affected your relationship and how is she receiving it? So
1: um, when we got back from Italy and I kind of introduced her to the idea it wasn't like this big inspirational moment um, where I sat down with her and I was like, okay, we're going to do this. Um, She was coloring and I sat down at the table next to her and I just was filling out some cards and she said, Hey, what are you doing? I said, Oh, I'm filling out a card for someone. She said, well, who? And I said, I don't know. And then that really piqued her interest. And she said, well, why are you giving someone cards if you don't know them? Where do they live? What do they look like? What's their name? <laughs> and, um, and so I, I introduced the whole like random acts of kindness to mm. her. And um, she wanted to jump on board. She said, well, I just learned how to draw hearts at school. So I need to help you because you don't know how to draw hearts. And I was like, okay. <laughs> So, um, she started drawing hearts on them and then she helped me to hide them too. So we have a great time hiding them, you know, wherever we are, whatever we're doing for that day. And, um, she's already very, um, so she's my complete opposite because, You know, that's the way it works most of the time. Mm -hmm. She's very loud, outgoing, extroverted. I'm very introverted. I like to, you know, sit down with a cup of tea and call it a day. It's okay if I don't see people. Um, And so this has been a common interest for both of us. And she's already very empathetic. And it's not anything that my husband and I have really sat down and taught her she's um you know ever since she was around two she would if I got a boo-boo she would go climb up and get the band-aid and bring it out and she's a very sweet and caring little girl and I'm excited to see if um if she wants to keep doing this with me over the next you know however long I'd like to do it even when she's a teenager to still um and still the importance of empathy, compassion, the whole saying that you don't know someone's story until you sit down and uh, ask them.
0: Mm-hmm. So yeah, she's, uh, she's loving being my little partner right now. I love that. So how can myself and everyone else listening, how can we participate and spread the hope?
1: There's really so many different ways. I've seen people be so creative with this. Um, there is actually a girl this makes me feel old. There is a teenage Mm. girl that lives in my hometown in Tennessee and, um, she's in high school now. And she started just cutting out squares of notebook paper, writing her own messages, and then leaving them around her high school. Mm. And I was telling, um, my husband, I said, you know, I didn't start this to become a business or to make money off of it or anything like that. And so I encourage people's creativity. Um, I do have the actual little hope note, uh, postcard forms, uh, or not forms the, um, design that I use and I am selling those on site for $25 for 20 cards. And I'm also doing like pay what you can, like an honor system um, for those that want to be involved in something like this, but can't afford to invest the money for the cards. And so really, there are so many options. You can initiate it in your own community by using the template that I have. And I'm growing a strong online community. And the idea is that eventually what I'd like to do is build more of a um, an online community like Meetup, where people are posting their cards and what they say, and the people that find them are sharing that. And We're just one in community and sharing inspiration with one another because just being bombarded by so much social media, it can really just wear your spirit down. Mm -hmm. And I would say that that's been especially true in my role as a mom, seeing all of the, the highlight reels, like I said at the beginning of the episode and comparing yourself to that And so Little Hope Notes, I'm hoping, will grow into more of an online community, and I will have um, eventually some shirts or tote bags that people can get in on the initiative and buy those and help cover the costs of mailing the cards out.
0: I encourage everyone to participate, and Nikki, your story is so inspirational, and I also hope that everyone listening can pay it forward at least once today. Oh, absolutely. So I like to end this podcast with just words of encouragement for anyone out there who may be having a bad day. So what are your wise words to end on? I would say
1: very simply, um, you are not alone and that your struggle is not yours to carry by yourself and that there is hope and um my prayer is that you find that today.
0: Thank you for listening to Enlightenhood, a movement that empowers mindful motherhood and sees the beauty in every woman's why. If you would like to be part of our community, find us on Instagram at enlightenhood. And subscribe to this podcast where we put out new episodes every Monday and Wednesday.